Hi, this is Kale Clark. Welcome to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio mobile app. I'm so glad that you're with me today for this journey of exploring, understanding, explaining, and defending our Catholic faith. Now, one of the first questions that you're asked by a non-Catholic Christian friend, or maybe even just a, a non-religious person, is, what is it about Mary? You know, there's really something about Mary, isn't there? Why do Catholics pay so much attention to Mary? Why do Catholics worship Mary? Now, this is a question that we often get, and it is absolutely not the case at all. So let me, you know, just tell you right off the bat, this is something that you can vehemently object to yourself, okay? Catholics don't worship Mary. Here's what's really going on here when it comes to Our Lady. We give her what's called extreme honor. There, there are actually two Latin terms that we need to be aware of. Uh, the first one is dulia, which simply means honor, and it refers to really the kind of honor that uh, we would bestow upon all types of people uh, in our lives. For example, uh, war heroes, uh, Memorial Day, Veterans Day are great examples of this, those who have given their lives uh, for the sake of our freedoms, uh, honoring one's parents. Uh, there are a number of other people, uh, besides the fourth commandment of honoring one's father and mother, that we would also want to honor in life. Uh, for example, uh, we honor students when they graduate. We put them up on a pedestal. They receive their diploma. Sometimes they're honored with being uh, the valedictorian of their class. And on and on and on. We could talk about you know, sports figures receiving trophies. We give them a type of honor. Uh, actors receiving an award. Uh, anybody who receives a commendation of any sort is a type of honor that we give someone. Well, what we give to Mary is on another level. It is extreme honor. The Latin term for that is hyperdulia. If regular old honor is dulia, hyperdulia is what we give to Mary. And think of a hyperactive person. You know, it's it, a lot more is going on. Uh, than what is usual, and that is the case in our honor of Mary because of her unique role in the history of salvation. Let's face it, she gave the word flesh. You know, John one fourteen, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. She made that possible. She said yes and gave Jesus the body that he would use because he had no human father in order to redeem the human race, the incarnation. It's so, so important. We don't worship Mary. We only worship God alone. In fact, to do otherwise would be to break the first commandment, to have an idol in our lives, uh, any worship of any creature, something in God's creation, uh, something or someone that is not God himself would be idolatry. And we Catholics are not idolaters. We know the first commandment, we know all the commandments, and we try as best we can to keep them with God's help. But we certainly do not worship God. Mary. We don't treat her like a fourth person of the Holy Trinity, okay? We honor her. She is the greatest of all of God's creatures. As St. Jose Maria liked to say, greater than you, no one but God. Greater than all the angels. Even the angels could never come as close to God as Mary did. Mary had the living God in her womb. Unbelievable. And yet she lived to tell the tale, and not only lived, but became honored by God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, assumed into the glories of heaven at the end of her earthly pilgrimage. Even the angels couldn't imagine uh, being so uh, much a part of God's plan as she was. So this is, this is just amazing. 
So that's all really what's going on here. It's just extreme honor. We don't worship Mary. We only worship God. And the honor that we give to Mary uh, doesn't take away from God either. This is another accusation that's often leveled at us as Catholics, that we're really um, putting too much emphasis on Mary, <clears throat> and we're, the attention that we pay to her ought better be paid to God. As one writer said, you know, when you pick up a rosary, if you look at the scoreboard, if you count the beads, you know, how many are Hail Marys and how many are dedicated uh, prayers specifically to the Holy Trinity? Well, we've got uh, God the Father, one, you know, the Our Father beads, of course, you know, the Holy Trinity, one. If you look at each decade, there's one uh, Our Father, there's one a Glory Be to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then yet there are ten Hail Marys. So the score is Mary, ten, Holy Trinity, one, God the Father, one. Well... Not quite, not quite. As we'll see, even the Hail Mary is a God-centered prayer. Even the Hail Mary is a Christ-centered prayer. And we'll explain that in just a couple of moments. So really what we're doing uh, when we honor Mary is we're honoring the work that God did in and through her. Just as we would with any other saint. You know, what makes the saints saints is the work that God did in and through them. Uh, That's why we are so uh, big on venerating the saints as great examples to us. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Augustine. Uh, Think about all the great saints throughout the history of the church. And Mary is far greater than any one of them. And we're going to get more into that as we go along here. Well, here's another question that we're asked. Why do you pray to Mary? Why do you pray to Mary? Why do you pray the Hail Mary and the other Marian prayers uh, that you pray, like the Memorare or or the Angelus? Why do you do that? Why don't you just pray to God alone? Well, first of all, we Catholics do have a habit of talking in this manner. We say we pray uh, to the saints, uh, St. Francis again, or St. Augustine, uh, St. Irenaeus. Uh, That's probably not a great way to say it. Probably we should put it this way. We, we don't pray to the saints. We pray through the saints. We actually ask them to pray for us. This is called intercession, intercessory prayer. And this is what we do in the case of Mary, too. We ask her to pray for us. Now, some people might say, again, why don't you just go straight to God? Uh, perhaps we've had that question from uh, non-Catholic Christian friends. Well, I often ask them in return when I'm asked this question, do you ever pray for anybody else? Have you ever asked anybody to pray for you? Have you ever asked your parents to pray for you? Have you ever prayed for them? Have you ever prayed for a friend who's in a jam? Uh, have you ever prayed before, you know, ask someone to pray for you before you took an exam or had a job interview? I mean, give me a break. We do this all the time. If you would ask a friend or, or another human person that you know who is a sinner just like you, to pray for you, they're obviously not perfect, then why wouldn't you ask a saint to pray for you? Because they're not dead and gone. They're more alive than we are because they're with God in heaven. They are far more alive than us, and they're very, very close to the Lord. So why not ask them for their intercession? The Bible is full of this. Uh, In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, it says that there is a great cloud of witnesses. 
uh, of the saints, kind of watching us on our journey here on earth below. It's almost like the idea of a stadium packed with fans, and they're cheering us on in the arena of life below. That's what the saints are doing. They want us to get to where they are, and they are concerned about us. They're concerned about our battle. They're concerned about our struggle, and they do intercede for us. This is uh, the glorified church in heaven that is praying for us and united with the church on earth, the church militant, if you will, uh, that's still fighting the battle below. But we're all on the same team. We're all part of the same army, ultimately. So they're alive with God. And the letter of James tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Okay, so the closer one is to God, the holier one is, one would have to imagine, one would stand to reason that whoever's closest to God, whoever's holiest, is going to have more effective intercessory prayer. And we know that Mary is immaculately conceived and she was without original sin. We also believe she was without any actual sin in her life. Uh, she is assumed into heaven. She's so close to her son, our Lord. How can her prayers not be effective? And so, really, it's smart to use those prayers. It's smart to ask our mother to pray for us. It's really, really important. That's one of the reasons why Jesus gave her to us as a spiritual mother at the foot of the cross. Uh, St. John the Apostle, the beloved disciple, of course, is standing at the foot of the cross as Jesus is dying, and so is his mother, and Jesus says, part of his last words from the cross, his seven last words, uh, he says to John, uh, son, behold your mother. And he says to Mary, woman, behold your son. And, and John is the beloved disciple. Um, he's never called John in the text. He's called the beloved disciple. Why? Because he's kind of a stand-in for all of us. He's always faithful to the Lord. He's always there. He doesn't run away. He's at the foot of the cross. He's always close to the Lord, leaning up against him, you know, at the Last Supper, asking him questions, talking to him. He's very close to the Lord, always obedient, always has faith. And that's what we're called to be as well. We're called to follow his example because we're all beloved disciples. And so she becomes our mother as well, our spiritual mother in the church. And so this is a really, really good reason why we do ask for Mary's intercession. St. Paul taught uh, that there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. And this is one of the verses that's often used uh, against us. Uh, hey, there's only one mediator. Uh, you don't need Mary. But <laughs> later on in that same letter in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, Paul himself instructs the believers to not only pray for one another, so, you know, uh, there's obviously at least more than one intercessor practically here. We're supposed to pray for one another. Plus, he says, to pray for those who are in authority over us, our civil leaders, uh, people in the church. We've got to pray for them, too. So we're doing this in Christ, and I think that is the key here. Uh, the one mediator is Jesus, but when we intercede, we do it in Christ. We do it as part of the mystical body of Christ, the church. We're all members of that body. So, in that sense, you know, we are acting, in a sense, in the mediation of Christ, if that makes any sense to you. So, this is really, really important. We do need and can use Mary's intercession. All right. Well, let me ask uh, this question here. Why the Hail Mary? We're often asked, 
why, you know, do we have to have this prayer in the rosary that's prayed, you know, uh, 10 times every decade? There's, only, there's one prayer directed to the Trinity, one to God the Father, and the rest seem to be directed to Mary. Well, not quite. Not quite. In fact, even the Hail Mary is, in fact, a Christ-centered prayer. And here's what Pope John Paul II said in his beautiful apostolic letter, the Rosary of the Virgin Mary. He said, although the repeated Hail Mary is is addressed directly to Mary, it is to Jesus that the act of love is ultimately directed. And if you actually take apart uh, that prayer, if you actually take apart the Hail Mary, we can see that it's drawn from at least the first part of the prayer, is drawn from some words spoken by Gabriel, the archangel, to Mary, and also Elizabeth, the relative of Mary, the mother of John the baptizer, the wife of Zechariah, words that are used to greet Mary in the prayer. And really, the words don't so much focus on Mary herself, but on her significance about uh, what is going on inside her, who is growing inside her. And John Paul calls this the wonder of heaven and earth about the incarnation. Gabriel, who represents heaven, is simply blown away himself about the fact that God is going to enter human history in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, whose body is taken from the DNA of Mary. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you, Luke one twenty-eight. So that is the wonder of heaven. And Elizabeth represents the wonder of us here on earth. She recognizes that the Messiah is living within her relative and says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Luke one forty-two. And that, of course, is the scene of the visitation. So when we say these words, as John Paul II indicated to us, we join in the wonder of heaven and earth at the mystery of the incarnation about how God came among us, became one of us in order to save us. Unbelievable. And so when we look at these opening lines, uh, hail full of grace, and of course we uh, simply the, the name Mary was inserted later into the prayer, but that word uh, comes from Scripture, hail full of grace, and that was Mary's uh, title, if you will. It's the first time in all of scriptural history, all of salvation history, that an angel greeted somebody by their title, not their actual name, hail full of grace, one who has been made full of God's grace, kakeratomene. They're actually hints of uh, the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady in this phrase. Full of God's grace, as far back as one can go from the very moment of her conception and as far out into the future as can be imagined. It's a past perfect in Greek. A perfectly completed action in the past that goes on forevermore. She was always made full of God's grace. No room for sin at all from the very first moment of her conception. Hail full of grace, the Lord is with you, is the first part of the prayer. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And of course, uh, the proper name Jesus was inserted uh, to that line of scripture 
in the Hail Mary. And that's really the, the middle of the prayer. If you, if you break apart that prayer, right smack dab in the middle of the Hail Mary is Jesus. And John Paul II says that really that, that holy name of Jesus is the hinge that joins the two parts of the prayer. It's, it's its center of gravity, as he put it in his apostolic letter, the Rosary of the Virgin Mary. So the Hail Mary leads us to contemplate Christ and to pray to him through the intercession of Mary. And this is, again, Mary's role to bring us to her son, Jesus. What does she say in John's gospel? At the feast of Cana, the wedding feast at Cana, they've run out of wine. And Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells you. And that's her role in salvation history, to lead us to her son and to get us to obey the will of her son. And in that way, we're really imitating her. She was the first Christian. She really was the person who who obeyed most perfectly uh, the words of the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. Be it done unto me according to your word. That's what she said uh, to the Archangel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1. So she really is the first Christian. She really is the first member of the church, the first person to say yes to God's plan to save the world uh, through her son, Jesus Christ. And Pope Benedict, before he was Pope Benedict, as Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, he co-wrote a book called The Church at the Source. Mary, the Church at the Source. We go back to the very roots of the church. It all begins in and through her. She is the first Christian. Okay, now I want to talk about another question that's often leveled as, at us Catholics uh, regarding the rosary. Is it not what the Bible condemns, what Jesus himself condemns as, quote-unquote, vain repetition, repeating the same words over and over and over again? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, In praying, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as do the Gentiles. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. And those are, are of course, the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, a few things here. A lot of people want to condemn us by saying that this is exactly what the rosary is repetitious prayer, empty phrases, many words again and again and again, and this is not pleasing to God. Jesus even says so. Well, hold on here. First of all, Jesus says when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard from many words. What what Jesus is condemning ultimately is the attitude of some uh, other folks out there in the world uh, who were not followers of the one true and living God, who would, they would, you know, endlessly repeat these formulas, uh, trying to get exactly the right turn of phrase. And I think, you know, if I say things exactly right, you know, my God is going to listen to me. Or if I say things enough, if I just overwhelm uh, the divine with, you know, just a deluge of words, he must respond. Okay, this is not what's going on with the rosary, okay? First of all, first of all, 
when Jesus says, don't heap up empty phrases, okay, the Hail Mary, as we've just shown you, is made up of scriptural phrases. These are the words of sacred scripture in the Gospel of Luke. The words of scripture are not empty phrases. So if you if you get accused of this by a non-Catholic Christian, you can say, do you think the words of scripture are empty phrases? No. Obviously, your friend, if they believe that the Bible is the word of God, will say, absolutely not. Well, the Hail Mary is a scriptural prayer. Okay? So that's that's... This is not the type of thing that Jesus is condemning, okay? Not at all. And, and by the way, you know, a lot of non-Catholic Christians, they want to say, you know, you really shouldn't talk to, to our Lord using these repetitious prayers. Our conversation with him should be completely natural, extemporaneous prayer. And, you know, there's nothing wrong, by the way, with that kind of prayer. There's nothing wrong with talking to God as you would a friend. However, trust me, I've been there I spent a lot of years outside of the Catholic Church in the evangelical world before I returned. And I used to do this all the time, even as a pastor. I, I would pray these extemporaneous prayers, even publicly during worship, these conversational prayers with our Lord. And trust me, uh, they do become repetitious too after a while. You tend to use the same hobby horses. You go back to the same uh, trite phrases over and over and over again. It's never completely original. It's never completely original. Uh, we're not that creative. Uh, certainly, I'm not that creative. And these can become sort of repetitive prayers, too. Believe me. I think we need both, obviously. We, we need what's called mental prayer or conversational prayer with God, even within our own minds, or, you know, using uh, words that are audible. And we also need uh, set prayers as well, because they help us. And we're going to see how they help us in just a few minutes uh, to focus on our Lord. So, Jesus is not uh, condemning what we do with the rosary here. The words of sacred scripture are not empty phrases. Oh, and by the way, this should be super obvious to anybody who reads the Sermon on the Mount. Right after Jesus says this, <laughs> guess what? He gives us a formula prayer, a prayer to be repeated and recited again and again and again. It's the Our Father. If you look on in Matthew chapter 6, he gives us the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus says, pray like this. And yeah, I know the Our Father can also be a model prayer. Uh, when you look at the framework of the Our Father, we can apply that to any prayer. It's a great sort of template for prayer, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You've heard the acronym ACTS. ACTS, uh, to, to sort of uh, emphasize that, the Our Father is a model prayer, and it's given to us by the model prayer, Jesus, who is the greatest of prayer. But Jesus gave us this prayer that's to be repeated, not just used as a model, but to be verbatim repeated. And, and Jesus also used repetitive prayers himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus spoke the same prayer three times in a row. And this is, of course, when, when he's in his agony in the garden. And you can read about this one place. You can read about it is in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, leaving them again, and that's Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. He kind of goes away from them, goes a stone's throw away from them, and prays for the third time, saying the same words. Whatever he was praying, he's using the exact same words. So is Jesus guilty? of using empty phrases or, you know, a vain repetition, if you will? No, absolutely not. And 
repetitive prayers are all throughout the Bible. Psalm 8, 118, his steadfast love endures forever. It says it again and again and again. Is scripture repetitive? Is the psalm repetitive? Uh, in the book of Daniel, uh, when the three men are in the fiery furnace, they constantly repeat the phrase, sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. God looked favorably, favorably upon their prayer. In the book of Revelation, the four living creatures before the throne of God saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. They never stop saying this. <laughs> they never stop saying this. On a human level, we know that a repetition isn't always a bad thing. Uh, it has to do with the intent behind the prayer and the meaning that, that is attached to it. Uh, in any marriage, any married person knows that their spouse never gets sick of hearing the words, I love you, even if they're repeated, you know, hundreds of times a day. They never get tired of it. My wife never gets tired of it. You should try it. Trust me, it works. And what's interesting about that, too, is that uh, these words are often repeated in different times, different places, maybe out on a date, uh, maybe just talking quietly with one another. But those words, even though they're the same words over and over again, they're always spoken in the context of a loving relationship that gives it meaning. And it's the same when we uh, address our Lord uh, with the same words again and again. There is a love behind it, and God is pleased with that. God is pleased with that. And by the way, uh, this comes from uh, the tradition of the development of the rosary as well in history. Uh, Pope John Paul II, in his letter about the rosary, says that the Hail Mary, repeated again and again, is very similar to what, what is known as the Jesus Prayer. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Jesus Prayer, but uh, monks in the wilderness used to repeat this prayer, and they called it a breath prayer because it would follow the rhythm of your breathing. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And sometimes if you've heard any of my uh, karaoke or attempts at singing on, uh, on our other program, The Kale Clark Show, you might say, God have mercy on him, a singer. Uh, he needs the prayer. But these breath prayers, it's very interesting. When I was uh, um, attending a Protestant seminary, the most popular class by far in the school was one on Christian spirituality, and really all it was was applying Catholic spiritual practices for Protestants. They didn't know where, where some of this stuff came from, and really I didn't know either, even though I'd gr grown up a Catholic. And so the students were just enthralled by learning about these breath prayers, these uh, ways to center oneself on God. And really this follows the words of the psalmist. In Psalm 46.10, God says this, Be still and know that I am God. These prayers help us to do that. They still our minds, which are so distracted all the time, so that we can slow down and focus on the living God. And that is why we use repetitive prayers in the rosary. Thanks for joining me today on The Faith Explained. I'm your host, Kale Clark. If you missed an episode, you can always catch them in podcast form on the relevant radio app. I'll join you in the next one, and I'll be with you later today at 5 p.m. Central, right here on Relevant Radio for The K.O. Clark Show. Until next time, God bless you.